What's most important to you when it comes to choosing your financial advisor? Someone who's aligned with your biblical values. How about someone who will take the time to explain your options? Certified Kingdom Advisors are professionals who meet high standards in competence and integrity and have been trained to offer biblical financial advice. To find a Certified Kingdom Advisor in your area, visit faithfi.com and click Find a CKA. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Hi, I'm Rob West. Christians have a calling to be generous. We're also called to be faithful stewards. So what happens when those two virtues intersect? I'll talk about generous stewardship today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Well, the dictionary has some highfalutin technical definitions for synergy, but you've probably heard it described more simply as when the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Mathematically, it might be expressed as two plus two equals five. Obviously, that doesn't happen in mathematics, but it does in chemistry and physics. I think synergy also occurs when you combine generosity and stewardship. Something very special happens. Think of the way Women who supported Jesus' ministry. We read about them in Luke 8, 1 through 3. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, we can only assume that it took a great deal of stewardship and generosity for these women to provide at least partial support for themselves and 13 men as they traveled around Israel. They probably had to watch every shekel. But look at what they were a part of, the earthly ministry of Jesus. Another example might be the widow's might that we find in Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Of course, that passage is most often associated with sacrificial giving, but I think we can also see the stewardship that was required for the widow's generosity. She no doubt scrimped and saved even to have those two small copper coins. And consider what came from her one small action. Her story has served as inspiration for millions of Christians over 2,000 years. That's greater than the sum of the parts. Now, I want to make it clear that being poor doesn't make one more spiritual, and being wealthy doesn't make one less spiritual. In Luke 18.25, where Jesus says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, he simply means that anyone who thinks their earthly wealth or works can get them into heaven is sadly mistaken. 
There have been many wealthy individuals who practiced great stewardship and generosity toward God's kingdom. R.G. Letourneau is one example. He made a fortune in the early 1900s inventing and building construction and land-moving equipment. He felt that money came in faster than he could give it away. He would say, I shovel it in and God shovels it back, but God has a bigger shovel. He also challenged others to be generous. He often said, you will never know what you can accomplish until you say a great big yes to the Lord. As for stewardship, Letourneau said the real question was not how much of my money I should give to God, but how much of his money I keep for myself. And that turned out to be only 10% of what he made. He was what you might call a reverse tither. He gave 90% of his income back to God and lived on 10%. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, had a similar philosophy, now carried on by his grandson, Andrew Cathy, who runs the company. It's not clear how much of the company's profits are given away, but Chick-fil-A remains privately held because the Cathy family likes being generous. They like giving money away, and they know that shareholders likely wouldn't see things the same way. Of course, Chick-fil-A is famous not only for chicken sandwiches, but also for being closed on Sundays, which the company has always done to give employees a day to rest and worship. And while you might think that being open only six days a week is not good for stewardship for a fast food chain, interestingly, Chick-fil-A is more profitable per restaurant than McDonald's. All right, your calls are next. 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. I'm Rob West, and we'll be right back. Stick around. As a faithful listener of this program, you know that there's life-changing financial wisdom in God's Word. And FaithFi is here to help you and millions of others learn to be good and faithful stewards. As a nonprofit organization, we rely on help from monthly FaithFi patrons, supporters of this mission, to help us continue and expand our outreach. Has God provided financial answers for you through this ministry? If so, consider becoming a monthly FaithFi patron. Visit faithfi.com and click Give. We are grateful for support from LightPoint Portfolios, which seeks out family and faith-friendly investments for 401k and 403b plans, integrating faith values and fiduciary duty. LightPoint Portfolios offers retirement plans for a variety of organizations such as businesses, nonprofits, and churches. And we're grateful for their sponsorship of the Faith and Finance Program. More information is available at lightpointportfolios.com. Welcome back. This is Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls today, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. We're going to begin today in Florida. Hi, Dottie. Go right ahead. Hi there. Uh, My question is from Proverbs 19.27. It says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I know nothing is set in stone in the scripture, but I've talked about this with my husband because so far we've left all our money to our children. And But the Bible has the scripture there for a reason. Should we consider giving some money to our grandchildren as well? That's mm. all. Thank you. Well, it's a great question, Dottie. Let's talk about that. I love this topic because it really does fit very well with where we started today. I think the first thing we have to do when we look at Proverbs thirteen twenty two 
is to ask the question, uh, what do they mean by, or what does the Bible mean by the word inheritance? Uh, because I think uh, it's, it's easy enough at face value to think that inheritance is referring to a financial inheritance, and that's something that good people leave. Uh, and so that verse is often used to affirm our pursuit of accumulating enough wealth to leave a financial inheritance for our families. However, if we look at it in the bigger context of uh, the passages surrounding it, I think what we'll find when we define inheritance and what it means to be a good man is it, when we look at the verses surrounding it, you know, it was really a group of verses contrasting the righteous and the unrighteous which helps us understand that the good man spoken of is good because he's righteous. So then we can ask, well, what kind of inheritance does a righteous person in Israel during this time leave to his family? Uh, remember, this is being written to poor farmers living in a land-based society. Well, uh, one thing that every righteous person can pass along to his family is wisdom. Uh, he did that by teaching his family how to worship the giver of the land, Yahweh, and how to honor him by not squandering the land through laziness or unrighteousness. So therefore, if the good or righteous man did this, his descendants would generally be able to hold on to the land of their fathers through righteous diligence and character. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, that's actually what can last uh, from generation to generation. Usually financial means does not. So, uh, you know, I think that's really the big idea here is something anybody can do, whether, uh, you know, you're in the United States of America, North America, or North Korea. Oh, now or a thousand years from now, we can pass on character and righteousness and a right picture of worship and that will result in an inheritance that can last for generations. And we can clearly do that not only to our children, but our children's children. Now, does that mean it's wrong to leave a financial inheritance? No, absolutely not. Um, I, I think you've got to pray through that. Again, you've got to ask the question, Lord, what would you have me to do? How much am I to take and invest in your kingdom right now during my life? How much should I leave as an inheritance, a financial inheritance to my children? Um, and are they chosen and prepared? What's the right amount? How will it be used? Uh, I can't control that, but I can give great uh, thought and prayer to, uh, you know, who the steward will be and how much they should receive. But given that broader context, I guess I would ask, you know, you what your thoughts are on that. And if we assume that really the inheritance being talked about in this particular verse is an inheritance, uh, inheritance of righteousness and wisdom, then that does change it quite a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I I think that the spiritual response is a better response than just money. I just wanted to make sure we were in the right, that we didn't yeah. leave anything to them, but I guess we could. Yeah, but I don't think you would you would want to look at this verse and assume that it's saying you're not doing something right if you don't leave material wealth to your grandchildren, because I think that would be uh, taking it out of context here. Uh, ultimately, you may want to leave it to your kids, whatever portion to each of the kids, and let them decide how to pass it to their kids at the appropriate time and based on their own spiritual and financial maturity. Bottom line is, you guys pray through it and decide the next step, but hopefully that helps you understand this passage. To Covington, Indiana. Hi, Greg. Go ahead, sir. Hi. Uh, I have a question going this way. Thinking of legacy and 
uh, thinking of, I have three children and I have three houses, extra houses, really. And I was thinking of perhaps deeding a house to each of my three children now so that they could do something with it uh, before I die. And that is really my question. Is there a limit to a value that I could deed to them? And and that's basically my, my question. These would be homes that they would rent out. They have renters in the homes at this time. All right. So currently you own them and you're receiving the rental income, but you'd want to deed them to your kids and let them to start generating the rental income to themselves? Yes, to give them some uh, something to work with because they have children. I, I now have grandchildren and uh, I'm thinking yeah. this might be something you stimulated me with the earlier part of the program doing some legacy planning. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the the only problem with that strategy is from a tax standpoint, uh, if you deed it over to them, they're going to inherit your cost basis. So the cost basis on the property currently is what you paid for it originally, plus any improvements you made. So when you sell it, anything above your original purchase price plus improvements is going to be capital gains, and it's going to have to you're going to have to pay capital gains tax on it. If you deed it over to them, they inherit your capital, your capital or not capital gain, but your cost basis. If they receive it as an inheritance because you place these properties in a trust or in your will, you pass them to them at your death, they inherit the properties and the cost basis is not what you paid for it. It's stepped up to the market value as of the date of death. So you're going to have to count the cost on losing that benefit of the stepped-up cost basis by transferring it to them now. What would be the alternative? Well, the alternative is you hang on to the properties in your name, uh, and maybe you, you know, start gifting them the rental income, which you can do, you know, up to $12 million in, in uh, gifts to anyone you want in, in total throughout your lifetime. You could do 17500 this year without even telling the IRS. If you go above that, you would uh, have to tell the IRS, but there's no tax on it. It just would chip away at your lifetime gift uh, exemption or exclusion of $12 million. Very interesting. And so if I say did deed the property to them now, would there be a taxable event? No, uh, no, it would be considered a gift and you'd have to fill out IRS form 709, the gift tax form, and tell the IRS you made the gift and that would chip away at your lifetime gifting of $12 million, but nobody pays any tax. You don't, they don't, you would just have to report it. Okay, and so... The the disadvantage to to them would be if they wanted to turn around and sell it, they would have my cost basis instead of, say, the value of the home in the event of my death in the future. That's correct. So the question would be, could you structure a way to actually allow them to inherit it? Uh, at your death through a trust or a transfer on death deed or through a will so they get the stepped-up basis and still do whatever giving you're wanting to do to them now, which you can do as a gift. So I I would probably schedule a visit with an estate attorney just to talk through all of that. Uh, If you don't have one, you could go to our website, faithfi.com, click Find a CKA, uh, connect with a certified kingdom advisor there in Indiana and ask for a referral. Hopefully that helps you, Greg. We appreciate you calling today. We'll be right back. Stay with us. 
Hope for Zambia, empowered by Family Legacy, is a ministry providing hope to vulnerable and orphaned children in Zambia by investing into their spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional growth and well-being. Whether distributing 5 million meals each year to students or empowering them to graduate from high school and go on to pursue post-secondary education, we believe that when you educate a child, you change their world. Go to hopeforzambia.com faith to transform a life. We're grateful for support from Eventide Investments on the Faith and Finance Program. Eventide's approach to values-based investing is grounded in the belief that humankind was created in the image of God with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Eventide calls this investing that makes the world rejoice. More information is available at eventideinvestments.com. That's eventideinvestments.com. I'm so glad you've decided to join us today on Faith and Finance. Here in our final segment, we'll get to as many calls as we can. Uh, Let's head to Mississippi. Angela, go ahead. You're our next caller. Yes, I have a question about a credit card. I have a balance of about $2,700 on a 20% uh, interest rate. However, I've been offered a card that Transfer balance is zero percent for twenty one, um, twenty one months. So I'm just trying to see would that be a, a good idea to do that, and would I risk um, my credit score going down? Well, you it will go down slightly, Angela, if you take out a new credit card because that's what's happening. If you accept this zero percent transfer offer, you're going to have they're going to pre qualify you or, or or do a credit check, and when they do the inquiry to the credit bureaus for the purpose of extending you credit, that in and of itself is going to bring your score down uh, modestly. But I wouldn't be terribly concerned about that. What what I'm most concerned about is what's the right plan for you to get out of debt once and for all and to really pay this off in a way that it, not only we're going to end up with a zero balance, but you won't go back into debt again. Um, you know, usually when we've got less than $4,000, I would say snowball it, which means just kind of do it yourself. Um, you could do that either by, uh, you know, just keeping it right where it is, but I understand why you're going to want to get rid of this 20% interest rate. Um, so this, the other option is to do a balance transfer. I think the key is that the concern I have for most folks is that, you know, they do this and they, that takes the pressure off because, the the interest rate is is zero and so they just have no incentive to get it paid off and so you know then they're left with a card that's open and in some cases if they haven't dealt with the issues of um, you know overspending then you know 6 or 12 months later they're still the debt's still hanging around on the 0% except now this the card you transferred it from is back up you know to Two or three thousand dollars, and we've just doubled our debt. Um, so I would want you to go into this with a real plan to get out of debt, you know, as soon as possible. Uh, so talk to me about that, just in terms of have you solved what got the debt, you know, that created the debt in the first place, the overspending, and then secondly, how much are you looking to put toward this credit card on a monthly basis, which then tells me how quickly you could pay it off. Actually, I wanted to. Um, take this for 
amount of time to to pay it out without um, accumulating interest. But um, of course, I have other cards that I'm trying. I'm trying to do the snowball method, and I know it's going to take me some time. I'm, I'm projecting maybe three to five years to okay. get all my my debt paid off. What's and, What's the total um, amount of credit card debt that you owe? Oh, probably maybe $50,000. 50 or 15? Maybe 50. 50. Okay. All right. So here's the way I would do go about this. I wouldn't touch the balance transfer given, given what I'm hearing and the total debt that you have. Uh, My preferred way to do this is through what's called credit counseling. So essentially here's what would happen. These cards are going to be closed but the debt is going to stay right where it is. You're not going to open a new account and do a balance transfer. You're not going to take out a loan and consolidate them. If it's with Citibank, it's going to stay with Citibank. The difference is in credit counseling, the interest rates are going to drop. So you're going to go through a nonprofit credit counseling agency. I recommend Christian Credit Counselors. They work with hundreds and hundreds of our listeners. They're wonderful, godly people. Um, the interest rate's going to drop. They're going to give you one level monthly payment that's not going to change. And the combination of that level payment every month that fits into your budget, plus the reduction in the interest rates with the creditors right where they are, uh, is going to help you pay that off 80% faster. And then you're going to take the guesswork out of it. You're not going to have to do the balance transfer game and, you know, try to open new accounts and move balances. Um, you're not going to have to worry about the interest rate anymore. That's going to be the, the, the method that I think is going to help you get out of debt once and for all. The other thing we have to do at the same time is right-size your budget. And they'll help you with that also because unless you're living below your means – even if we get you out of the debt that you have today, it's going to come back. And so we've got to solve the budget issue and we've got to get you on a plan that's going to help you get this paid off. So your next step, if you want to take this route, which is what I highly recommend, is to go to christiancreditcounselors.org, schedule a visit with them over the phone. There's no cost. And they'll tell you exactly how to work. And they'll tell you what that the new lower interest rates will be on all of the credit cards. All right. Yes, sir. Okay. Sounds okay. good. Very good. ChristianCreditCounselors.org will be the, the next step for you. Thanks for calling. Uh, let's head to Illinois. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. Hi, Rob. Um, I, I heard a question about the potentially having the opportunity to purchase a property that I formerly lived in for the back taxes of just over 14000 And um, I don't know if I should do that with the hope of reselling the property because it's not, it's not really in living condition and I'm not interested in fixing it up. So, um, I was just wondering if if you think that's a good idea. Okay. So how did you come about, uh, this opportunity? Where is this coming from? Um, well, my, I'm divorced and as part of the settlement, you know, he bought me out and so my name's off the deed, but I got, he's, he's deceased and someone is interested in buying the property for the delinquent taxes. I mean, obviously if you could get the 14,000, if you could get the property for only the back taxes, uh, and you could afford to do that, it could be a great opportunity, even without putting the money in it to just turn around and flip it to an investor who'd be willing to come in and do the work. I'd want to make sure there's no other lien holders, uh, against the property. You'd want to make sure that you could get a clear title to it. And, and, um, you know, there weren't other lien holders here that have a claim to it. 
Um, and then I'd want to talk to a, a real estate professional once I dealt with the title side and the ability to buy it uh, and own it outright um, and be protected in that. I'd want to talk to a real estate professional about the likelihood that I could turn around and sell it in its current form, given some of the, the property's deficiencies and so forth, um, and get my money back. And I wouldn't want you to be in a financial hardship in the meantime, because this could sit for a while, especially if it's in a, a state of disarray. And the last thing you'd want to do is kind of in the name of a quote unquote, great opportunity to tie your, all of your funds up, put yourself in a real bind and create a lot of headaches and hardship and potentially some negative financial ramifications. So I think you need to get a lot more information, perhaps starting with a real estate attorney who could do some title work and explore the con- state of the property. Um, and then secondly, with a real estate professional, just to try to get all the facts and then look at that in light of your financial situation. And perhaps Lee, a, a financial advisor helps you do that. Uh, if we can help further, let us know. Thanks for calling, Joanne. And hey, we're almost out of time. But I wanted to let you know that you don't ever have to miss a program. Just download our FaithFi app for your mobile device and take us with you anywhere. Thanks for joining us today. I look forward to talking with you again next time on Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you. 